I have two readings today, an ancient and a modern. The ancient reading is from Matthew 21 and Mark 11 and John 12. They all tell the same story. And when they came near to Jerusalem, Jesus told two of his disciples, Go into the village. As soon as you enter it, you shall find a donkey tied. Loose him and bring him. And if anyone asks, what are you doing? Say, the Lord needs it. And they went and they found the donkey and they untied it. And they were asked, what are you doing? And they answered as commanded and they were released. And they brought the donkey to Jesus and he sat on it. And many spread their garments upon the road, and others cut down branches of the palm trees and strewed them on the road. And those who went before and those who followed cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they came to Jerusalem. And Jesus went into the temple and began to chase out those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overthrew the tables of the moneylenders. He he taught them, saying unto them, My house shall be called for all nations a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. A modern reading from Abbot Ming Zin Shakya's book, Assault on the Summit. It's a book about seeking enlightenment and religious ecstasy, Sartori in the words of the Buddhists. It is a peculiar fact that those who've attained the spiritual summit know that all religions are equally good at providing climbers with tools that reach that single high point. The accomplished mystic, the climber, immediately knows that the the persons of the divine drama. The climber grasped the commonalities of the prophets, the saints, and the persons of the Trinity, Buddha, future Buddha, Bodhisattva, known by whatever name, who populate the real world's heavenly precincts, and knows that however differently they are represented in their earthly forms, their heroic, loving, and merciful character is uniformly preserved. The climber understands that the kingdom of God is within each, a genetic endowment of which all are heirs, but only a few are beneficiaries. Whether or not a climber stays within their original religion or substitutes another, they will use similar methods of meditation, breath control, chant, dance, prayer, and so on. For these techniques vary little among the religions. Scriptures, too, are fundamentally the same. The languages may differ But the messages are ethically similar, prescribing murder, deceit, licentiousness, theft, intoxication, and all manner of antisocial behavior. 
Usually, however, by the time a person is motivated to follow the mystical path, the sacred writings of religion have done their civilizing work and remain a source of lyrical beauty and wisdom upon which one can meditate. In the distance, in doctrinaire conflict, clamor the various zealots, waving their scriptures and issuing polemics on the tittles and jots that separate them. But on the slopes of the summit, no such differences obtain. Mystics never argue, and in fact will borrow and appreciate each other's psalms and poetry. Thus in the readings. The Donkey and the Dogwood Tree. The readings were long, so the sermon will be short. It is Palm Sunday. Holy tension must have been high in the mind of Jesus and his disciples as they entered Jerusalem. Crowds were in front of them, crowds were behind them, calling out, Hosanna! The Jewish annotated New Testament translates Hosanna as save, as in God save the king. The cloaks and the branches were also practices reserved for a king of Israel, as were the other phrases borrowed from the ancient psalms. The crowds were clearly hoping for a military leader, a king. But Jesus taught nonviolence, love your neighbor, love even your enemy. Turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, pay your oppressive taxes. Welcome the poor, welcome the fallen woman, welcome even the tax collector. Jesus was trying to save his, these people, his people, from a life of misery. Jesus tried to teach them how to live full and meaningful lives under oppression. It was a lesson for the 99% of us. But the crowd wanted something else. You didn't need to be a prophet to see that this would end badly. <clears throat> Once upon a time, my grandfather owned a donkey. Granddad worked hard all his life. He was a cowboy, a truck driver, a pipe layer, and a pipe fitter, and he worked in the Phillips refinery on the Houston Ship Channel for 20 years. Then he had to retire early due to a bad heart attack. At age 55, he was told to sit on a porch in a rocker. Didn't happen. Instead, he bought a small ranch, 110 acres, and he raised cows. And he made a small profit. One year when I was about eight and spending part of the summer at his farm learning how to do chores... He bought a donkey and a child-sized saddle. He had nine grandkids, after all. One of my chores was the donkey. I learned all about donkeys, saddles, blankets, bridles, curry combs, mucking out stalls, and stubbornness, orneriness, and all manner of active and passive resistance as practiced by donkeys. The donkey taught me to curse. 
Traditionally, when working with donkeys, you need a carrot and a stick. Carrots worked mostly, but oh, how I longed to use the stick. Granddad not, would not let me curse or strike the donkey. A donkey carried Jesus on his back into Jerusalem. See the cross? Every donkey has a cross. Sure enough, along its back and down its front legs, donkeys have a cross. Donkeys didn't have that before Jesus, said Granddad. It's a miracle. Well, it was to an eight-year-old, at least for a while. Skepticism grew slowly. In the meantime, that miracle taught patience to a frustrated eight-year-old trying to saddle a reluctant donkey. Faith itself is a miracle, Granddad once said. The next year, Grandmother and I were walking in the woods on a spring day. She was looking at the trees in bloom, and I was looking for snakes. She stopped at a dogwood tree in full bloom. She pulled down a branch and held it low for me to see the flower without picking it. This is a dogwood tree. They used to grow straight and tall, and the flower used to be a plain white circle. Then the Romans used the dogwood for Jesus' cross. Now the tree grows twisted and gnarly, so it can never be used that way again. And look at the flower. It's a cross. It used to be pure and white and whole, but now there are nail holes in the edges and the white flower is splattered with drops of blood, and in the center is a crown of thorns. I looked closely, a bit skeptical. It was exactly as she described it, a white cross with four nail holes on the edges, rimmed in red and with red drops splattered across the white blossom as if splashed. Impressive. But the crown of thorns in the middle looked like the middle of a rose to me. I looked at grandmother's face. She was smiling and deeply happy. I kept my skepticism to myself. I loved grandma and her stories. If you asked too many questions, the stories would dry up. And grandma would return to her endless tasks of housekeeping, cooking, and sewing. Besides, I knew they were legends, stories, or myths. A myth is a tale that is true somehow, on some level, perhaps at some certain place or time, even though it's not real. It is allegorical thinking, maybe even magical thinking. It is the use of metaphor to map meaning from art to life and back again, cycling round. Plato described our grasp of reality as seeing mere shadows of reality cast on the wall of a cave because we could not endure the bright light of reality outside the cave. Because I have worked as a scientist, worked with raw observational data, I think I know what Plato meant. Reality is very slippery stuff. We error-prone human scientists 
take a cloud of data points, map it onto a graph, draw a mathematical best fit curve through the cloud of data. And then we look at it from far enough away and we squint and we pretend that the curved line is the reality and not the actual fuzzy cloud of data. Like the carrot for the donkey, it works mostly, but not always. We human beings live in this three-way tension between what reality is and how much reality we can grasp and what meaning we can make out of what we hold. My grandparents loved these myths of the donkey and the dogwood. They took them on faith. The myths gave meaning to the chaos of life. My grandparents did not go to college, but they were very wise and experienced. We grandkids learned quickly not to play cards with either of them for real money. I have to say that if somehow the myth got in the way of the health or safety of a grandchild, then the myth would have suffered long before the grandchild did. I do not know the depth of my grandparents' faith in myths or even Jesus' Christology. Granddad knew of evolution, and he had experience in breeding horses and cows. He might have known that if a donkey with the coloring of a cross, was born somewhere after the life of Jesus, that such a donkey's owner would have bred that donkey, and if the descendants had the cross, pretty soon everyone would want a donkey with a cross. I can offer evolutionary reasons for why the donkey has a cross. I can assert that the donkey had a cross long before Jesus was born. I can explain that there are red and white dogwood trees, and the blood spatter pattern is most impressive on a cross-fertilized dogwood tree. These explanations take some of the magic out of the story, but not the meaning. It is still a miracle that donkeys have a cross. And still, the carrot works better than the stick. And still, it is better for the health of the handler and the donkey. If one refrains from cursing. And still, the spring bloom of the dogwood evokes the crucifixion and resurrection of a loved one. For my Christian family, members, and friends. It is a miracle. Next Friday is Good Friday. Many of us will ride a bus to Planned Parenthood to demonstrate for women's rights. This is important, righteous work. As we march and chant and sing, remember we need to love our enemy. We need to stand on the side of love we need to do what love would do. We need to remember the inherent worth and dignity of our neighbor with whom we profoundly disagree on this issue. As Joseph Campbell said, every religion is true, one way or another. 
It is true when understood metaphorically, but when it gets stuck in its own metaphors, interpreting them as facts, then you are in trouble. End quote. So let us stay in the metaphorical. Once upon a time, a perfect man, born of a perfect woman, lived fully and deeply, taught love, suffered terribly, died nobly, and lives still somehow. The infinite divine realm of heaven is within our human heart. Amen. <laughs>